Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey everyone, it's Hamish from the Young Investors Podcast. Myself and Brandon are excited to bring you your weekly rundown of the latest business and investing news from around the world. Now, a quick reminder before we get into the podcast is that nothing in this podcast should be taken on as personal financial advice. If you're ever unsure about your finances or investing, make sure you reach out to a qualified financial advisor. But with that said, let's get into another episode of the Young Investors Podcast. All right, guys, welcome back to yet another episode. We're up to episode 240. How are you? I'm doing well. You know what? I started, um, I started running again for the first time in a long time this week. And it's you started hard. running. It's hard to get back into it. Yeah, so I used to I used to run a lot. Uh, I used to run like almost every morning. And uh, and then I just stopped doing it for ages. And then I've oh, had like okay. I've been running every like here and there, but then I, I started getting back into it kind of like I started seriously thinking about it and doing it this week. Um, wow. And it's hard. I really wish I hadn't stopped. Um, <laughs> all my legs, my the legs hurt. Feedback. My legs hurt. Everything hurts. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. I've, I always find when I get back into running, it's it's my side glutes that really that give me grief. Yeah, anyway, my where, like, where were you sore? Just my ca- like calves, and then calves. Just I think all my muscles are just really tight because I haven't done yeah. a lot of like uh, kind of aerobic, I guess, uh, exercise consistently yep. in a while. Like here and there, but not consistently. Um, yep. So yeah, I'm trying to get back into it. I'm trying to make that my my new thing is like just nice. consistent uh, exercise. <laughs> yeah. Do you take loose with you or nah? Not for not for the run. No, she not for the run. I, I usually go for a run and then, um, or at least this week, I've been taking her go for a run and then I come back and take her for a walk. Um, I, right. I used to try taking her for a run and she can like she can keep up for like maybe three minutes and then her tiny little yeah. legs, her t- tiny little chest like probably gives in because she's so small. Like you got to think about like this tiny yeah. dog, like how many steps this little dog is trying to take. Yeah, um, true. So, yeah, true. No, she's not exactly the uh, the running or cycling companion, but um, that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So how far are you running? How far do you want to run? So I, I used to, I, I was never kind of a crazy runner or anything, but I used to run like five or six Ks most days. Right. So I want to get yep. back to, and at a like, you know, reasonable pace. So I wanted to, yep. I want to get back to there. Um, I've just been kind of, yeah, nice. my, I've been kind of doing uh, short runs this week. I did a couple of short runs, just like a couple of kilometers and then runs where I'm just like running, walking, running, walking, just to try and, um, you know, get a bit more <clears> distance. So we'll see, yeah. we'll, we'll see how I go, but um yeah, it's a it's it's a grind getting back into it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I saw Oppenheimer. Oh, you did? Did you on the back of? Did you yeah, enjoy it on the back of your suggestion? Yeah, I did enjoy it actually. I thought it was quite a good movie. I like the movies that um, when they finish, I, I end up going and looking stuff up after. Like I'm interested in 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 what the movie was about, mm. and I definitely found that. So I've been I'm being fed so many Oppenheimer videos now <laughs> on YouTube and. YouTube shorts yeah. and reels and that kind of stuff after doing all my research on it. But no, yeah, it was it was a good movie. Mm. Long, but it didn't feel long. Um, yeah, right. Which, yeah, it's a good sign. Yeah. Um, I don't want to give any spoilers, but um, it's, wow. it's kind of like there, there's a, ma- a ma- I guess everybody kind of knows what it's about. A major event happens. So I was like, oh, okay, that's the end of the movie. And then after that, there's like an hour left. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's kind of like about his whole life. It, and the, the pacing, as you, kind of you said, it's like the, the pacing's really good. It doesn't feel too slow mm. really at all, especially because no. a lot of the movie is just dialogue. Uh, like a lot yeah. of it is just like kind of real conversations that happened. Uh, uh, so... Mm. Uh, it's surprising that a movie like that felt so. It felt like it went quickly. So, yeah, mm, yeah. I'll be interested to see what the uh, box office numbers end up um, end up at for Oppenheimer. Yeah, I. Um, I this is probably something you'll 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 look into at some point, I guess. Yeah. So I I I don't actually know Oppenheimer separate from Barbie, but I saw an article just before that the combination of the two, Barbie and Oppenheimer, have passed a billion dollars at the global box office. Oh, okay. So, 
Um, I'm the, yeah. I think probably two thirds to three quarters of that is Barbie. So I'm not actually sure what yep. um, Oppenheim is at specifically, but yeah, they're both. Uh, Seems to be really. They're, they're killing we, it. I was looking at um, I was looking at both of them in the cinemas and across like all the weekend sessions. I was just trying to find a seat, and there were really only seats in the very front row. All of those sessions were just booked out across all the cinemas. So yeah, looked um, looks promising for the I've, the movie industry. Is like. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah, well, it's interesting because like every now and then you get one or two movies that not only do they do massive marketing for the movie that's that that works really well, but then it also just get picks gets picked up in social media. Like Squid yeah. Game, for example, was like probably the biggest example of it, where it was just everywhere on TikTok and Instagram, and that just drove everyone towards it. And with mm. Barbie and Oppenheimer, you have this Barbenheimer kind of thing that just like blew yeah. up, and that was just com- that's like free free advertising for the companies mm. and then that drives this whole kind of FOMO of like oh I better go see at least one of them so it's interesting when certain movies get that and then other movies I guess they just have to drive all their own paid advertising and they don't kind of get that uh I don't know cultural drive mm. yeah yeah no it's definitely uh a sigh of relief for cinemas around the world, that's for sure. Mm, yeah. Uh, anyway, Hamish, what are we talking about today in today. The, uh, the Young Investors podcast? <laughs> the in- investing podcast. <laughs> yeah, we've, uh, the biggest story this week, I think, is uh, the US credit rating had a bit of a, a downgrade uh, from one of the credit rating agencies. So we'll talk through kind of what mm. all of that means. Um, and uh, in other news, we had uh, the RBA gave their rate decision, uh, their rate hike uh, or cut or hold decision in Australia. Uh, Jamie Dimon is uh, back on CNBC for another interview. Yep. Always great to hear what he has to say on the economy or whatever uh, topics kind of uh, in the news at the moment. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and we've got a couple other things, some earnings. Uh, we'll see kind of what we get to, I guess. Mm. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right, Hamish. So, with Let's do it. that said, today's episode is brought to you by Seeking Alpha, your one-stop shop for stock analysis, market data, and news. Access expert analysis and news for thousands of stocks. View buy, hold, and sell ratings from members, Wall Street analysts, and Seeking Alpha's own algorithm. Screen for stocks using a variety of fundamental and technical analysis metrics. Access 10 years of financial data and company filings. And manage your portfolio by tracking your investments with price alerts so you never miss a buying opportunity again. Click the link in the episode description or head directly to seekingalpha.me forward slash young investors to try Seeking Alpha free for 14 days. That's seekingalpha.me forward slash young investors. Uh, the link's in the episode description. And as always, thank you to those who have used the link when signing up uh, and are supporting the podcast. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. All right, Hamish, where shall we start? You want to talk uh, about this credit ratings stuff? Yeah. So, yeah, this is probably the biggest news story I could kind of see that happened throughout the week. Um, and it might be something that some people might not know too much about. Um, people have probably heard about credit agent rating agencies, probably from the big short. It kind of plays a kind of, they kind of play yeah. a pretty critical role in that movie and, and the plot of that or how that played out. Um, but people might not know kind of what's going on and, and there's a specific news story that's kind of tying into it. So I thought I'd go through and just explain what the credit uh, ratings agencies are uh, and then kind of please do what's the, what's the news topic uh, and story this week. So it kind of all makes sense, but uh, essentially, there's three big uh, credit rating agencies uh, in the United States. Uh, there's Moody's, Standard & Poor's, and Fitch. Uh, and the credit rating agencies essentially help potential lenders and creditors to determine whether to lend to a business or a country. So their job is essentially to help people who want to lend money to, to businesses, to countries, uh, decide if whether they should do it or what kind of rate of return they should demand uh, based on kind of the risk of... Uh, that business and, and, and the country. and mm. how they Kind of like how safe it is, right? Exactly. And, and essentially their job is to predict the likelihood of a borrower being able to repay the debt in a timely manner. So um, mm. obviously all different kinds of businesses and countries have different likelihoods of actually paying you back depending on yep. um, a, you know, a wide variety of factors. So they kind of assess those factors mm-hmm. and then they essentially assign a rating. Uh, and those ratings go from AAA all the way down to triple C. Uh, and they essentially, 
indicate, the, as I said, kind of the likelihood of default. So at the top end, you have AAA, and this is just an example. They're, these are not kind of specific percentages, but uh, a AAA rating from Moody's, for example, means a default rate of 0.18% is estimated. So, for example, US right. government bonds uh, by Moody's are rated AAA. Uh, so that means that by Moody's, one of the ratings agencies, uh, the estimated default rate is 0.18% uh, on average, right. which essentially means there's basically no default risk with the US government or, you know, mm. as, as little to Extremely zero. Extremely low. Extremely mm. low. Um, and then you can kind of go down the list. It'll, it'll go from like AAA to like AA plus and then AA and then A plus. So it kind of goes down the list. Um, when you get to B... Uh, a B-rated bond from Moody's has a default rate of 31.24%. So now we're talking about interesting, uh, you know, a, a business or a government, for example, if it has a B rating, uh, then you're talking about quite a considerable risk of them not mm. paying you back. Um, and actually anything below double B, so BB, is considered uh, a junk bond or a non-investment grade bond. Um, so right. Um, that's where you're starting to get up into the higher default rate. And then a C or a D rated uh, bond would be a, a, a business or a government that's already in default. Um, so oh, okay. if it gets to, if, if, if some, if a business fails to pay, like, oh, yeah, so if a business kind of fails to pay some of its lenders and it's in default, it will be rated mm. to a, a C or a D depending on the rating agencies. Some of them go to D and some of them go to C. Um, right. Interesting. There you go. So, yeah. So, that kind of gives you a background, right? So, you have kind of entities and, mm. and these ratings agencies assess the likelihood of them of them paying back. The news this week is that Fitch, so one of the three big rating agencies, uh, downgraded the United States government from a AAA rating, which is the highest rating, to a AA+. Um, so, mm. this is pretty big news because you don't tend to see that many moves um, in terms of the ratings for the US government, which is kind of the the gold standard of uh, of, of pay, promising to pay you back, right? Um, they're kind of mm. this, uh, we, in, you know, in, in, for all, all intensive purposes, many people just consider the US dollar lending uh, to the US um, risk-free um, because they are kind of, they are this kind of gold standard. So it is a big deal that they uh, are deciding to um, do this downgrade. And they gave a bunch of reasons why. Um, what did they say? They said, the rating downgrade of the United States reflects the expected fiscal deterioration over the next three years, a high and growing general government debt burden, the erosion of government reliance, uh, sorry, the erosion of governments relative to AA and AAA rated peers over the last two decades has manifested in repeated debt limit standoffs and last-minute resolutions. So there's a bunch of different reasons. Right. Some of them kind of include just comparing the US to other um, AAA-rated entities, governments and businesses, and mm. um, then saying kind of relatively speaking, they're not, um, they're, they're, they're not as, uh, as safe as those, um, as, as those other peers. Uh, they said in Fitch's view... Uh, there's been a steady deterioration of standards of governance over the last 20 years, including on fiscal and debt matters, uh, notwithstanding June bipartisan agreements to suspend the debt limit until January 2025. So a lot of talk about the debt limit um, kind of standoff mm, and how yeah. it's always this big political thing in the US, which doesn't really happen anywhere else. Yeah. Uh, they said the repeated debt limit political standoffs and last-minute resolutions have eroded confidence in fiscal management. Uh, in addition, the government lacks uh, a medium-term fiscal framework, unlike most peers, and has complex budgeting process, a complex budgeting process. These factors, along with several economic shocks, as well as tax cuts and new spending initiatives, have contributed to the successive debt increase over the last decade. Uh, additionally, there has only been limited process in tackling the medium-term challenges rated, uh, related to rising social security and Medicare costs due to an aging population. Right. So a few things in there, but it sounds like they're they're very much targeting. Well, the, the their main reason is this uh, debt burden and the political uh, riffraff that happens around raising the debt ceiling and how that can be pushed so last minute. That's probably what it is, is the fact that it gets pushed so last minute. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. The, I mean, the main thing, and I mean, it, make, it makes sense. The the main kind of, if you had to umbrella the entire thing, it's it's just the fiscal management. Uh, how how is the government managing its its tax revenue and its spending? And spending has been growing. Tax revenue has been de- declining in some aspects because of tax cuts. Um, so you have this kind of consistent and even growing deficit if you take out the pandemic, and this kind of growing debt pile with no real plan. There's there's no real plan on on yeah. how to fix it. It's just you know raise the debt ceiling, kick the can down the road a couple of years or a year, and then we'll have another fight about it. Um, we'll have another political fight about it. Um, it's kind of what Ray Dalio has been talking about as well. It's like, yeah, sure, you can raise the debt ceiling. It doesn't actually fix the problem. The no. problem is, is that the United States spends a lot more than it earns. <clears throat> and we need to stop arguing about, oh, we'll let you raise the debt ceiling if you do this or that. It's like, well, let's make it a non-issue and let's fix the deficit. The deficit's been getting worse and worse and worse over time. Yeah. And, and, and that's, a, you know, in the, in the lifetime of the U.S., that's a relatively new thing. Um, really, it's the last 20 years where the deficits have become yeah. consistent and very large. You can go back even, mm. you know, to some of the bigger deficits in, in U.S. history. So like the after World War II or during World War II, after World War II, um, they had a surplus again. And they've kind of bounced between deficit yep. and surplus, which is what you would was kind of uh, what you would kind of expect, expect from a nation, yeah. not that you can consistently run at where you're at a deficit where you're spending more than you're receiving in tax revenue. So, um, mm. that yeah, as they've kind of alluded to, and as Dalio's spoken about, the last 20 years is quite unique in that case. Um, and it's been exacerbated mm. by the global financial crisis, what, 15 years ago, and the pandemic, um, which mm. both of those things combined is a huge portion of, of the, um, the, the debt burden. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, their comments on the government deficit and debt, uh, they said that they expect the deficit to rise to 6.3% of GDP uh, from 3.7%, uh, which was recorded in 2022. Um, so they're kind of expecting the deficit to uh, con- continue uh, to blow out, to, to rise. And of course, that's, <laughs> that's a problem because... Uh, it means they need to continue to take on more debt, issuing more debt, yep. um, and the interest payments just get a larger and larger part of their um, of their costs. Um, mm. And just like a just like a person, uh, it, it can get it can spiral out of control. There can be a point mm. of which you you can't get it back. Um, of course, you know they've got the Fed um, where they can kind of just dilute the currency if they wanted to. But um, you know either op- of those options is not very good. Uh, the debt to GDP is uh, currently 113%, uh, well above pre-COVID levels, and is still expected to continue rising to uh, 118% by 2025. Uh, Fitch is also projecting a recession this year as well. Um, they said tighter con- uh, credit conditions, weakening business investment, and a slowdown in consumption will push the US into a mild recession in the fourth quarter of 2023 and the first quarter of 2024. Uh, according to their projections. So um, they're modeling uh, a recession as well, um, which of course would continue to make some of these issues worse. Um, if businesses are producing less revenue, they're probably producing less profit um, and and therefore government is collecting less tax revenue. So that, that kind of balance gets worse. Plus you have people who are getting laid off. So the pressure to provide more stimulus to people, so increased costs is, is quite large during a recession. Mm. So you know, going into a recession would, would make the problems that already exist quite bad. Yeah. It's multifactored and it's, yeah, it could, could get worse as Fitch's argument. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so Fitch now joins S&P. So there's kind of Fitch, S&P and Moody's are the three big rating agencies. Uh, S&P had already downgraded the US to AA plus um, in 2011 which was the last kind of really big debt ceiling standoff. Um, so, of course, right. there's been debt ceiling standoffs every year or so <laughs> since then, but that was the last time it, it, it uh, was as uh, close to default as the most recent one that we just kind of went through. Um, right. So, you've now got uh, two of the three rating agencies um, who don't think that the US is uh, uh, kind of eligible for that uh, highest credit rating, which is really interesting. Right. So they so the S&P didn't re-rate 
them to triple A since 2011. It's just been double A plus. Is that that's correct? Is yeah. that how? Oh yeah. wow, I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure. Uh, I'm pretty sure. I, I checked it. Right. right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah I, I didn't know that. That's how it worked. Yeah. Crazy. Moody's. All eyes on Moody's, eh? Yeah, they're the only Moody's ones. Moody's like, no, nah, it's fine, it's good, it's good. Yeah, Moody's is like, oh no, we actually have to assess them. All these, the other, the other two, like they were all just kind of looking at the other two. Well, that, I mean, that was like, yeah, I mean, that's the whole joke about the big short, right? Like they weren't actually yeah. really doing anything, and they were just, uh, no. they were just giving just the banks paid. their rating agents their ratings that they wanted. Um, yeah. So exactly. Yeah, uh, <laughs> well, that's how they like, make. Oh, no. That's how they make money. <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's yeah, it was this is a. The Big Short puts an interesting light on that, um, kind of the yeah, relationship between the banks and, and the ratings agencies and how, yeah, the rating agencies don't really have any competitive advantage. So, you know, if, no. if they're not going to get the rating, they'll go across the street. So it's kind of an interesting yeah, business. Yeah, exactly. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, anyway. Yeah, so, it's very interesting. So there you go. Um, yeah, what does this mean? I mean, it's it's an institution that, that obviously looks at credit and, and the environment and they've reached a conclusion of, um, you know, they think things are getting a little bit worse. Obviously a double A plus rating is still incredibly investment grade, incredibly safe. So it doesn't, it's not as yeah. if oh, they've narrowed a 10% risk of default. It's like probably gone from 0.18 to like 0.23 or something, something minuscule, right? <laughs> so it, it, I, I, I couldn't actually find a specific number for um, Fitch's double A plus, but it, it, it's still very small, um, but it is interesting yeah. to hear from an institution that's obviously, well, you'd hope. I, I would like to think that they they've got a big team looking at economic data and and kind of have a finger on the pulse of some of this stuff. So, um, you would hope. You would hope. Yeah, I'll, I'll put that, that, that. You know, put that in italics. Like you, we, we hope. <laughs> we, we hope. Yeah. Allegedly, yeah. according to sources yeah, yeah. familiar with the matter. Yeah, I don't have proof, but. <laughs> Oh, dear. Well, um, that is very interesting. I do have a bit of a follow-up, and I guess this can just lead us into the next news story of the week. Mm. Um, Jamie Dimon, the man himself, has um, has done an interview with CNBC right. um, where he spoke about quite a few different things, uh, one of which he got asked straight off the bat was what is his... Uh, by the way, Jamie, Jamie Dimon, I don't know if I just said this, the CEO of JP Morgan... Um, yeah. He was asked about <clears throat> what um, what his thoughts are with this U.S. credit um, downgrade by Fitch, and he said, "You know what? It honestly doesn't really matter." And he said, mm. "The reason it doesn't matter is because ultimately the markets will decide." And I think I think that makes sense. Mm. I mean, the markets will decide what uh, I guess what happens with U.S. debt uh, more so than what I guess a US ratings agency will slap on it. Mm, that's actually a really yeah. good point to make, right? Because that that's something that markets do is, right? If if you notice that markets it's are like now demanding, a, exactly, demanding a higher return for US bonds, uh, that's an indication um, of, of weakening credit quality, right? Because people demand higher returns on, on investments that have higher risk or a higher risk of not returning your capital. So yeah, that's absolutely a, a good point. Um, Mm. That you know, aside from the credit agencies, like yeah, markets will do their thing. Um, yeah, um, he didn't really make any new points around the downgrade. Um, he spoke uh, that he he thought that the debt ceiling uh, crisis was the main reason, which is obviously what what Fitch themselves were kind of talking about. Um, Jamie noted that the yeah he did note actually he was talking about this quite a lot that the US is still the most prosperous nation on the planet and one of the safest nations as well on the planet and he pointed out that some of these ratings agencies uh, there are a lot of countries were in a worse off situation than the US that are now rated at AAA so higher than the US and there are even countries dependent on the US, what he called the US enterprise military system that are AAA mm. when the US itself is not. So it's like, well, that <laughs> yeah. that's a bit backwards, isn't it? Yeah, it, yeah. It, it is funny in that respect um, that US does a lot of things that is just kind of, they operate as the world's, you know, um, leader in... in like central pillar. In yeah. Pillar <laughs> is, yeah, foundation is kind of the word I was thinking of, yeah, for, for mm. some of these things such as military. So it, yeah, that is interesting. Yeah. Um, he was also asked uh, about, you know, what he thinks about the debt ceiling and um, he is all for removing it. 
So this is kind of what we were talking about more oh, many moons ago now, um, as right. to you know whether the debt ceiling actually does anything, whether they should just get rid of it. And interestingly, what we were talking about back then, uh, Jamie said pretty much the exact same stuff. Um, he just said, look, honestly, the debt ceiling itself, the rule, it doesn't do anything. The debt ceiling always gets raised when it needs to. The only thing that it does is it allows the debt ceiling to be a political bargaining tool, which leads to, um, you know, sure, compromise, but it also leads to arguing and back and forth up until basically the day before yeah. <laughs> the, you know, the, the world economy blows up. So it's like he, he was basically just saying that um, he, he's in favour of removing it. He doesn't think it does anything. He thinks they'd be better off without it. They should just get rid of it. Yeah. I think it's, yeah, it's pretty obvious it doesn't do anything in the US. The question is, you know, more importantly, to do something, I think, to fix the underlying problems. I don't think yeah. like it's not like like removing the debt ceiling doesn't make it worse probably, but it doesn't really make it better either. I don't like maybe you could mm. argue there's some small points of yeah the, the people don't use it for politics, um, but it doesn't really fix the core issue, which is that just both parties' mm. inclination to spend excessively more than than comes in in revenue. Um, so they should make it like the rule should be like if you raise the debt ceiling X percent in ten years then you have to go the next 10 years without any raise. <laughs> you you must fix the underlying issue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> fix it, it's called the fixing the underlying issue clause. <laughs> yeah. No, that's, I, and that's I don't why know. I don't know what they do about it because, yeah, it's, it's especially some, a, a place as big as the US, it's, there's got to be so many streams of spending from the government that it's just a web of... of it's just a disaster. Oh, it would just be... Uh, yeah, it'd be impossible. Like, it'd be so difficult to kind of figure out what's necessary, cutting things, and it's just, it's just a mess. You almost want to hit the yeah. reset button and just like, <laughs> uh, absolutely, yeah, <laughs> and just yeah, clear absolutely. everything out. All right, let's do. Okay, so murder is a crime. Like, just start at the beginning again. <laughs> like, <let's> just, <laughs> yeah. you know, just burn all the yeah. laws and let's just go back to the start. <laughs> yeah, the U.S. healthcare system. Let's burn it. Okay. We're starting again. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. Um, no, exactly right. Um, what else did he speak about? What did he talk about? Hamish, he spoke... Uh, oh, yeah, he was asked about his economic storm cloud, his hurricane. <laughs> um, he says that, look, there are still concerns, but um, he's he's kind of downgrading his uh, his horrific outlook. He said, look, <laughs> he, he, was, he was very happy, actually, in this interview. I'm not quite sure why, mm. um, but he was extremely upbeat and happy and smiley in this interview, which is not the Jamie Dimon I'm, I'm used to seeing. Mm. Um, but he said, yeah, there's a, you know, the consumer is strong. Uh, the US has really low unemployment. Uh, they're growing as a country. There's still lots of innovation out there. Um, asset prices, you know, in stocks and real estate are still up a lot, obviously, if you just look mm. over a long period of time. So, you know, the, the wealth of asset owners is, is high. You know, balance sheets are still looking okay. Businesses are okay. And, um, you know, he thinks he thinks that there are still concerns. But generally speaking, he laid that foundation that, you know, <laughs> he is optimistic about his country, which mm. I thought was interesting. You know what that means, right? It means it means a recession's coming. <laughs> the yeah. moment everyone screams recession, and then if, and then when it doesn't come, everyone's like, "All right, it's not coming," and then it hits. <laughs> nah, Jamie died. He's not Jim Cramer, mate. No, <laughs> that's true. Yeah, we should be. We need a segment on here to see what. Um, check the weather with Jim Cramer, because uh, yeah, we actually should. As soon as he says we that actually it's about should. to rip, then we know to get out. So, yeah. Oh my gosh, he was. This is like what I I actually just logged on because I have CNBC Pro um, and you can actually just start streaming CNBC, what's going on live. Mm. And I, I just looked at it this morning and it was Jim Cramer's like lightning round or something <laughs> where he gets people to call in and he's like, oh, look, I've got this company. It's It, it sells, you know, blah, 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 this, that and the other. It, it's gone up, you know, 10% in the last year or, or whatever. And then Jim's like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Look, here's what I want you to do. It's going to hold flat for a little bit. It's going to bounce next week. And when it bounces, you're out. You're set. <laughs> I was like, gee. Just like hearing like that kind of terminology. Uh, just actually watching that. And these are like everyday Americans that are calling him in. Being yeah. like, Jim, what do I do? And he's like, you're going to wait for the market to bounce next Tuesday. And then when it bounces 5%, you're out. I'm like, jeez, like, what are you doing, man? Yeah, he's a disaster. It's, it's, there's yeah, some actually. very funny videos, like, going through all of his calls and how he just, like, completely gets everything wrong. It's very funny. Yeah. Um, yeah. But that's the thing. He's, like, he probably gets half the stuff right, half the stuff wrong, because he's not, he's just a media personality. He's not trying to be correct. Yeah. He's just trying to fill five minutes on TV. That's yeah. all he's doing. He's, I mean, he's, just, he's just the, trying. He's the legacy version of the stocks to buy that on YouTube. <laughs> like, yeah. you know, he's the legacy yeah. version of that. Um, Actually, people who just kind of yeah. pick ten random stocks that they saw this week, and they're like, "Oh, these yeah. are the stocks I'm buying this week." And then, you know, yeah, it's ten new stocks the next month or whatever or the next week. That's that's what it yeah. is. It's, it's just, people desire that type of content because no one wants to do the work. They're lazy, so they want no. someone to tell them. Um, and so that, you know, I think that content just, some, unfortunately, it works in any context. Um, yeah. Like, there's always going to be someone doing it. So, yeah. True. Anyway, back to Jamie Dimon. Yes, Jamie Dimon. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, he, yeah, he was very happy. He was very optimistic. But he is still worried about two key things. Um, quantitative tightening. Um, he said, I think it's going to bite at some point. And then that, that makes sense. Interest rates going up, quantitative tightening. The other thing he's worried about is uh, he's still worried about the situation in Ukraine because he's concerned about the you know restriction of oil, of gas with the Russia situation, um, food with both Russia and Ukraine. Um, he's worried that it's, you know, there's nuclear uh, blackmail going on. Uh, he says, obviously, he hopes that it'll sort out, but he's just not sure. Um, so they're, they're really the two two things he's worried about in the immediate future, quantitative, quantitative tightening and uh, the geopolitics over in Ukraine. Uh, he was asked whether he thinks inflation is over. He says he doesn't think it's over. He thinks um, uh, there's still a lot of concerns. He, see, he, could, he said he could see rates going up to 7%. He's not predicting it, but people should be prepared for it. I think that's a, a good way to think about things. Don't make a prediction, but be prepared. Yeah. Um, he noted that governments have to sell more debt than ever before, and they need to keep that debt competitive. So... Yeah, they have to. They have to offer. You know, they have to entice demand. If all the governments around the world are selling a lot of debt, they have to entice demand by offering a good return. I guess. Yeah, yeah. I think that'll be that'll be something again to interesting to watch over the next year. Is you know, as the government continues to need to issue more just themselves, just from bigger deficits, but also yep. potentially the uh, uh, the Fed, you know, offloading what they have on their balance sheet. The combination of those two things. Uh, whether we see anything, see that, well, what you would look for is like the yields increasing on like a two-year government bond or something like that, seeing if they're starting yep. to move. Um, that'll be interesting to watch because then, yeah, the debt just becomes more and more expensive for the US government. Um, so the the issue of their deficit becomes more um, short-term. Um, Mm. He was asked uh, what he thought about the COVID situation. He said the government and the Fed did the right thing during COVID, but um, we continued the spending for too long. We're now paying the price for that in higher interest rates. He said the storm clouds are rolling in. Um, he spoke about new banking regulations being proposed, but apparently the proposal is over a thousand pages long and they're still working their way through it. Um, he just kind of yarned at a top level about this. He didn't get into anything too specifically. Um, but it definitely sounds like he's not a fan. He says there are things in there that aren't good for the American people. Said JP Morgan will be fine. Um, right. <clears throat> I don't know. To be honest, I don't know anything about these new banking regulations, so I'm not going to focus on it. I haven't looked into it at all. Yeah. Um, I uh, was asked about repercussions from the banking crisis. Jamie said he thought uh, First Republic was the last domino. He said it's over for now. Uh, he said that most regional banks are reporting earnings and they've done okay. Uh, nothing amazing, but you know they're, they're holding up okay in terms of uh, withdrawals and that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, 
as as he usually says, he wants uh, J.P. Morgan to be the financial fortress for America. He basically says that every time he goes on TV. <clears throat> um, and then the last thing he kind of spoke about was he was asked about AI. Um, he said it's a game changer, but it will take time like everything does. Uh, interestingly, they have an AI ethics department at J.P. Morgan, which I find interesting. I'm not quite sure what they do. Um, <laughs> one guy. <laughs> one guy on a desk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. Um, he said there could be downsides, but at the same time, there were downsides to cars, planes, pharmaceuticals, but they're obviously net-net yeah. benefits to society. Yeah. Um, they change the world, obviously. Um, if it causes job losses, there are solutions, um, but it all depends on the rule makers. Yeah. So. I think that's probably, to me, the job losses, that, that'll be the most interesting aspect to kind of watch because that's always been a, a, an, an argument that's been made every time there's a new uh, technology that comes out, whether it's like the internet or the industrial revolution. That was There was always the same argument was uh, there's going to be a rapid displacement of jobs uh, and unemployment's going to rise. And it, as far as I know, has never really happened in a meaningful way, uh, at least in the past, from from kind of big structural changes. But then you can make the mm. argument, well, AI is the kind of very excessive, potentially excessive shifts in, in demand for work. Uh, so it will be interesting to kind of see how it plays out. Um, yeah. And I saw someone interesting, someone said something interesting, which was for the first time, like in the past, technology has kind of uh, taken away or, or replaced physical labor, but now it's kind of a, a, a rep- potentially replacing cognitive uh, ability, which is yeah. a, a definitely a new thing with AI that, that we don't really know what that looks like. Do we then do different cognitive tasks or, uh, or does AI eventually do all of cognitive tasks and all of the mm. physical tasks? So, um, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's that's the way I think about. It. I think I don't think people necessarily. I don't think employment drops like a brick. I just think that yeah. you know, like every, the types of jobs will change. I mean, yeah. like sure, the automation of manufacturing lines in factories that's eliminated a lot of physical labor type jobs, but there's still a boatload of people that work in those factories. Yeah. They're just different types of jobs. They're maintaining the machines. They're, you know, overseeing the production. You know, they're doing things that machines are not ideal for. Um, Elon Musk has spoken about over-automation. There's a lot of uh, things, you know, a lot of jobs that he's tried in Tesla's factories. He's tried to give that job to a machine, to a robot, but... In all honesty, a human can just do it way better. Yeah. He was talking about like one of his examples was there's like a, a soundproofing um, uh, layer, uh, you know, on top of the battery or something like that. And they tried to develop this weird machine to pick up like these fibers of this like sound like soundproofing mat and then lay it on top of the thing. And it's just said that the machine like couldn't pick it up right because it was like it didn't have the like the dexterity of the yeah. uh, didn't have the accuracy. And then when the thing of like when when it you know got blown a little bit this way, it couldn't correct itself well enough. So it's like what what are we doing? You make a person <laughs> pick it up and put it on. Yeah. It's like it's so easy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then yeah, if it sure. falls off, they can pick it up and put it back. <laughs> yeah. They're not locked into a... <laughs> yeah. So, no, yeah, for sure. I, I, I don't know. I think, sure, like jobs will be disrupted, but I think it it, it won't be as dire as what people no. think. It, everyone's always super negative about new technology, and it does have negatives. Some of those things do actually happen, but it's it as you kind of alluded to, it's like new technology brings good things and bad things and... I don't know. Yeah. I think most new technologies you would say have been a net positive. I think you'd say like yeah. pharmaceuticals have been a net positive, even though there's a lot of negatives yeah. to them, for example. So, 100%. Yeah. Yeah. I'd rather not die of a, <laughs> <laughs> of a horrific illness if I can take a tablet that stops me from dying. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly yeah. right. Yeah. Um, anyway, that's all I had to say on Jamie Diamond. <laughs> yeah. Well, related to AI, we can talk about uh, Meta's back in the news. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70 yard field goal. It probably won't go well. 
So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Um, and they're actually Ooh, working okay. on their own uh, AI chatbot. And then there was some other kind of advertising-related news that I kind of stuffed in here to to uh, okay. pad out this cool. story. Because it's, it's kind of a couple cool. of little stories all kind of together. Um, yeah. But uh, Meta is looking to step into the ring. Uh, again, not against, um, well, it's not Zuckerberg against Musk, unfortunately, um, but uh, against uh, ChatGPT <laughs> and uh, Google's uh, BARD AI um, uh, language models, chatbots. Um, so this kind of all kicked off around their earnings last a couple of weeks ago. So they launched um, Llama 2, which is their open source language model. Um, so they kind of have open source this language model uh, and other businesses can build chatbots off that. So they, they kind of launched that uh, two weeks ago or the second version of that two weeks ago. Um, but uh, this week, they've also uh, announced that they're going to be launching their own chatbots for Facebook and Instagram. So oh. there's chatbots everywhere now. <laughs> there's, there's, gonna, there you go. They're starting to get into, into everything. Um, so they're going to build it into the app somehow. Yeah, so I can kind of give a bit of a uh, breakdown of, of what it might look like. But uh, sources mm. told sources, we don't know mm. which sources, but sources. Familiar with the matter. Yeah, yeah. So fi- sources told Financial Times. Not even familiar with the matter. This one just said sources. Just sources. So maybe they're not familiar <laughs> at all. Maybe they're unfamiliar. You know, maybe yeah. they're just a source. A source could be no anything, idea. really. It could just be, yeah. hey, Kevin. They hit me you, up. Hey, Kevin, do you have a, do you have a take <laughs> on meta? <laughs> give us a hot take, mate. <laughs> yeah. Kevin. Yeah. Uh, no, so sources told the Financial Times that Meta is working uh, on a clutch of chatbots with different personas uh, with a twist that would give them a quirky selling point compared to their rival ChatGPT. Uh, one persona they've been testing sounds like Abraham Lincoln, um, right. which, is, which is interesting. Um, I, I like the way that the Daily Upside described this. So they said... Um, Nice personas like Honest Abe would be key in getting users to open up to chatbots run by a company that's constantly trying to shake the image of siphoning your data. I like the idea of being able to ask different personas, like different personalities. That'd be great. It's like, yeah. t- nah, today I want to have a bit of fun. I want to ask the depressed one. <laughs> Give me the pessimist. Yeah, yeah. Give me the guy that's like not having a great time. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, give me, give me the, I don't know, like the, the bricklayer persona or the tradie persona today <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just all different kinds yeah yeah, yeah it would be great I, I yeah i wonder how long it'll be before we get because one thing i was really excited about when i heard about um google assistant for the first time was kind of this i just kind of immediately saw this image of you know being able to actually kind of communicate with an assistant you know but that's not mm. exactly how it is now it's kind of pretty one way right but i would imagine relatively soon you'll be able to talk to one of these language models like it's kind of an assistant um which will make things a lot easier you can kind of describe what calendar things you want put in and then if you say actually no don't do it like that do it like that then it'll kind of fix it and you can do some of these things with google assistant already but it's not super um user friendly so i wonder that's kind of separate to facebook and, and instagram but um i wonder how long that'll take to to get Pudding, because that'd be really interesting. Um, that'd be cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would be cool when the internet takes on. I don't know. I, I I still feel like the one of the thing, and I guess um, Elon Musk talks about this a, a bit as well. It's just like the inputs. Uh, are so slow with the internet. Like mm. we're still doing these ones on the keyboard. Yeah, still monkeys. Yeah, we're still monkeys using two, two, you know, two thumbs in most instances to try and interact with the vastness of the internet. It will be great when we have better bandwidth between ourselves and the internet, yeah. whether we can just like talk freely to uh, an assistant or a, a chat uh, AI uh, kind of system, mm. and it, we can get around and navigate and plan tasks. Like instead of opening my phone, adding like what you say, adding an event. It starts at two p.m and what do I call it, blah, blah, blah. We can just be like, hey, yeah, I guess it's it's kind of like that with Google Assistant. That's like a pretty good version. Hey, Google, can you put an event in my phone at 2 p.m. Mm. next Thursday that I need to go see my accountant kind of thing? Yeah, it's just primitive at the moment. And it's... it's it, it is. I don't find myself using it all that much because 
it's honestly just faster to do it manually still, but it, with, yeah. without you know checking for mistakes and that sort of thing. Um, yeah, but yeah, it, it, hopefully it gets there soon. But why? But if you, yeah, oh, if, I was going to say if you interacted with like a, a language model and and you say like, hey, book in a accountant thing at two p.m. It'd be nice because we're actually talking to AI. If it can come back with you saying, "Hey, we just looked it up. You know, your accountant is thirty minutes south side, and then you have a three o'clock appointment, which is twenty minutes north side. You know, are you sure you want to schedule it? You should look in book in another time because you'll get some conflicts. Like, mm. that, and then you can yell back at it. What? You don't trust my driving ability? You don't think I can do <laughs> twenty kilometers what in five it? minutes? <laughs> but just that next that that like it's just that layer of understanding as opposed to just that primitive like i can recognize speech and act on that speech yeah it'll be good yeah yeah exactly it'll be good when it's good yeah exactly right (laughs) but why is meta doing this right are they doing this out of the goodness of their heart probably not um it's probably related to another story which i saw which was um related to snapchat and their ai bots and how they're using or potentially going to be using their AI bots to advertise and do targeted advertising. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, a little bit, some of this is a bit dystopian, so <laughs> just strap yourself in. Okay. Um, but uh, the company, this was actually back in February, um, but it's kind of related to a more recent story. Uh, the company found that uh, they found a bunch of ways to use AI bots uh, in Snapchat to provide targeted uh, advertising. Uh, for example, uh, lots of yeah, lots of users ask their uh, Snapchat bot for recommendations uh, for which they could advertise. And I don't know about you, but that seems like the worst idea ever. Like you ask, you're you're kind of searching for, or you're asking for recommendations, and it's giving you recommendations yeah. based on ranked paid, paid advertising. I don't know. Maybe it's not that much different from search, yeah. but. You know, the, the, the difference with the, the chatbots is it's not like you're getting a bunch of search results. It's like giving you mm. one answer. So if that one answer yeah. is an ad <laughs> yeah, or exactly. includes a major part of an ad, I, I don't know. Imagine that. Hey, Google, um, <laughs> looking, for some, looking for some sushi around here. Where, where do you recommend? Jimmy's Sushi. Go there now. <laughs> they will give you a good deal. You look up like the Google reviews. It's like one star, frequent food poisoning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, what's the? Jimmy's just paid to be there. What's the best <laughs> smartphone at the moment? It's just like this uh, brand new. I don't know. <laughs> Some yeah. random like brand has just got the top spot for the advertising. It's like yeah. the yes. chime. The chime four is now out. Like, <laughs> Okay, Made you. by Brandon's Electronics. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I recommend this. Oh, so uh, um, <laughs> yeah, I can see how that won't work. But I, I don't know. I don't know how it will look. I'm sure people's thought the same thing about uh, paid search results, and that works reasonably fine. Um, in fact, mm. it can be kind of useful sometimes, actually, to have kind of um, the companies that are targeting you just put your put their links at the top. Sometimes it's actually quite helpful. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I thought that was kind of a little bit dystopian. They also said, uh, they yeah. intend to use, uh, users chat data for building a profile and around your interests. Um, which I guess again is, is oh. pretty similar to search, but there's just something like, I don't know. It's kind of like the, the, the thing I thought of immediately was like internet companies are just taking a bigger portion of your thoughts over time. Like now it's, <laughs> yeah. you're going to be talking to an assistant, like just spewing Ooh. like thoughts essentially. And it's going to be logging all of this and then targeting <laughs> advertising with it. <laughs> it's like, they've got it in your head already. Uh, <laughs> oh, but, uh, dear. Yeah. And then, uh, that, yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. And then the other kind of, uh, advertising story I, I saw related to this, um, again, courtesy of the daily upside. Um, thank you for, uh, for finding these, uh, stories for us. Uh, that sounded mm-hmm. like an ad. That wasn't an ad. <laughs> it wasn't <an laughs> just ad. Gen- genuinely. Uh, thank you. Um, uh, they pointed to a kind of this really creepy story about Uber. So Uber is going to be launching uh, video ads in their app. So while you're on your journey, you could watch video ads. Great. Um, Awesome. The advertising chief said this. He goes, we have two minutes of your attention. We know where you are. We know where you're going and we know what you've eaten. We are going funny. to serve you ads. Yeah. So I, I just thought that was funny. I, again, I was like, I was kind of imagining, imagine telling some or, or playing that clip to somebody in like the 1950s. 
Like, mm. oh, this is what this is what companies do now. Uh, we know yeah. where you are. We know where you're going, and we know what you've eaten. <laughs> like, imagine hearing that. That's got to be the right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's pretty dystopian. But I, I mean, it's all jokes. I don't really, honestly, I don't really care about getting tracked for advertising and stuff. But I just think it's nah. it's just funny hearing some of these things and then imagining, you know, what it would be like to hear that before the internet because we're just so used to it now. It's kind of just it's just the way it is. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah, crazy. Yeah, the one the one that's like using chat data to build profiles. Is like, uh, is that like going to be just all? Ch- I'm, I'm scared. Like Hamish, what does he like to do? He likes, you know, he, he likes McDonald's. He likes to walk <laughs> his dog, and he likes hot singles in his area. <laughs> yeah, because it, it does kind of blur. It's funny because it blurs the line between. Obviously, we would think it's unacceptable for Facebook to use our personal messages to target advertising. Like if I was talking to you about, yeah. oh, I just saw this cool trailer, like in personal DMs, and then they advertise that to me. That's creepy. But search mm. is okay because it's kind of like, I don't know, we've just agreed. I mean, you can use incognito and VPNs and that sort of thing. So there's kind of options there, I guess. But then chat bots is in the middle because it's like a chat. Mm. So it feels personal, but it's not really mm. personal because you're talking to an AI. So can yeah. they advertise in there? It's, it's funny how yeah. the lines have been drawn because it could have very well been the case that it was just normal that your chat messages like on Facebook or WhatsApp were used to advertise. Mm. Like that could have just been come normal but we kind of drew the line at like no that's that's great okay that's creepy like it's not <laughs> you, you can you can track where i am and what i've eaten but don't read my personal messages but it's interesting to mm. see where the lines are going to be kind of drawn as what's creepy and what's allowed yeah it's a bit creepy as well because like um even when chat gpt like there was a big hoo-ha about how it gets so much stuff wrong but it gets things wrong, but it sounds so convincing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so if it's talking to you and there's an element of paid advertising in there, but it sounds so convincing, then that's a bit of a worry, you mm. know? Maybe I will go get, you know, food poisoning from, what is it, Jimmy's Sushi down the road that's paid to be there, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah, I, I, anyway. I still don't know how that's going to look. I just, I, I can't fathom that. Like, yeah. I, I don't really understand it. Um, I don't know. Yeah. It's weird. We will have to it's wait weird. and see. I can't remember. I, I when I was a when I was a lot younger, I read a book, and maybe if someone knows what I'm talking about, which they probably won't, because this is going to be um, a really bad description. But I remember reading a book that was uh, there was it, the, the whole thing was about how there was just it was a futuristic time, and there was just advertising in every single thing. Like there was ads in your car, mm. and like ads in the the drive through, and like everything there was ads. Yep. I can't remember what the book was, but uh, I remember reading that when I was younger. I was like. I just like, I don't know. It was just like a first memory of like probably what we're walking into. (laughs) Yeah, probably. Yeah. And with that said, it's time for an ad. So we'd like to thank this video sponsor. No. (laughs) Yeah. We've already done that bit. Um, All right. Uh, Anything, anything else on that story? Very interesting. We could talk for hours about AI. Yeah, we could. I know. Where where it leads. Um, Just before we wrap up and do some q and I'll I'll talk quickly through Ferrari earnings because I find it quite interesting. Um, and I, the reason I find companies like uh, Ferrari interesting is because they are a luxury goods company. Mm. Um, but they're they're at a level where oftentimes the some these companies can actually do completely fine during tough economic periods because honestly their customers are so rich that even when the economy sucks they're still rich <laughs> yeah. and it doesn't really affect it doesn't really affect them um, and on another thing on the plus side is is Ferrari uh, they're a company that deliberately control their supply so there's always demand uh, supporting the stability of their prices for their vehicles and, and kind of supporting their um, their earnings in a way. Mm. Um, you know, if you want a Ferrari, you you do have to wait, and they actually play into that and keep it like that. You do have to yeah. wait. Um, they they play into the scarcity factor. Yeah, you, it's a big part of how they've developed such a good long term brand because every, the, yeah. the temptation is to oh let's just make a few more and let's just make a few more and just take mm. money off the table now but you you dilute the brand and that's something that yeah. you see if you, with all kinds of whether it's luxury companies or or all kinds of really big brands if you look at their dna and, and the, how they've done things over time you'll notice that they sacrifice short term something in the short term for, for something in the long term always there's always mm. some trade-off there 
and businesses that can, that can do that consistently for decades, they dominate. So yeah, it's interesting mm. to watch. Yeah. And that's what, and, and that's what Ferrari have done. It says here, um, so talking about Ferrari earnings, Ferrari on Wednesday said its second quarter profit jumped 33% from a year ago as more of its customers are choosing costly personalization options for their new sports cars. Okay. If, if you're, you know, go, if you're, a lot of your profits are coming from, you know, little tinkering personalization options, you know that you are, your customers are not being affected by the downturn. <laughs> Um, they said Ferrari also raised its guidance for the full year following the results. The company now expects 2023 revenue of about 5.8 billion euros, um, uh, and per share profit between 6.25 euros and 6.4 euros. It had previously guided to investors the full year revenue of about 5.7. So they've just adjusted it up very slightly. Um, it maintained earlier guidance for an adjusted EBIT margin of more than 26%. Quote, we continue to manage uh, a very strong order book in all geographies, the CEO said in a statement. Uh, the decision to revise the guidance upwards was supported in particular by stunning results in personalizations. Ferrari in recent years has greatly extended its options lists, offering its uh, customers a huge range of choices in paint finishes, interior materials, and other details. Those extended options, uh, which the car- Italian car maker calls personalizations, can add hundreds of thousands of dollars to the price of a new Ferrari. Crazy. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. But I've seen this happen, actually, at their at their facilities. I think it's where Maranello in Italy somewhere. Um, they bring their customers in and they sit them down in a design room with like a couple of representatives and then they bring out all the different colors of leather and the different colors that you can have trims and the different trim materials and then they mock it up in uh in the computer system and be like how are you feeling about this paint color what paint color would you like and they go through and they select all this stuff oh that's going to be another hundred thousand just to let you know are you okay with that yeah yeah, yeah let's do it let's do it i like the red oh you, you, you want black paint oh sorry that's uh yeah that's another forty seven thousand dollars <laughs> yeah what Sorry, it's not paint? red. <laughs> <laughs> are you sure you want a Ferrari that's not red? Um, but yeah, I, I, I find this very interesting. Uh, Ferrari's margin on earnings before interest and tax rose uh, twenty nine point rose to twenty nine point seven percent in the quarter, up from twenty five percent a year ago. The increase in profitability was driven by the jump in personalizations as well as sales of higher end and limited edition models. Uh, the company said. Yeah, I find this interesting because Ferrari, you think about it, what do they do? They make cars. Their gross profit is like 50%. Mm. Whereas other, like auto, like volume automakers, their gross profit is like 8 to 20%. Yeah. It's pretty remarkable. Yeah. So it shows you that they, while they're a car company, their business model is very different. Very different. Yeah. And there's, yeah. there's obviously an enormous amount of value in that brand. Um, the only reason you yeah, can huge. consistently price a, a car higher than other cars that function the same mm. way is because customers are getting something beyond uh, just the the function of a vehicle. Um, they're getting the yeah. brand, they're getting the luxury, whatever it is, um, mm. the, the quality. Um, so, yeah, uh, yeah. Gr- high gross margins consistently um, above competition is a, one of the strongest indications of a of some kind mm. of a brand advantage. Ferrari shipped 3,392 vehicles in the second quarter, down slightly 1.8% or 63 cars from a year ago. So that's pretty <laughs> crazy. 3,392 yeah. vehicles in the second quarter. It's not a lot. Mm. It's a different it's kind of business. <laughs> it is a different kind yeah. of business. Uh, those deliveries included the first examples of the, oh gosh, the Purazang, <laughs> Ferrari's new SUV-like vehicle, which entered full production in the quarter. Deliveries were predominant. Uh, were primarily driven by strong results for the 296 uh, GTB, a six-cylinder hybrid sports car, and the V8-powered Roma Coupe or Coupe, and Portofino M convertible. There you go. Right. Ferrari's hybrid models, including the 296 GTP and the V8-powered SF90, accounted for 43% of its second quarter shipments, more than double its year-ago result. Right. There you go, Hamish. There you go. It is a different type of business. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I don't don't dwell on that too much. That is the results over at Ferrari. Shall we do some Q and A, Hamish Hodder? Yeah, let's do some Q and A. Let's see what we got. I'll, I'll ask. Um, we can start with this one. Um, yeah, sure. Uh, question: You always speak. 
you always speak about timing the market. But how is waiting until a company reaches a certain valuation, uh, or respecting your margin of safety, different from timing the market? Uh, as an example, I didn't mm. think Meta was interesting an interesting buy at 370 in 2021, but when it hit 100 a year ago, I thought it was a pretty great price for the company. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a good question. And I guess in a way... In a way, you are you are timing the market if you're waiting for a valuation. But I guess that's not um, we're not we're not predicting that this is a bottom point and the market is going to rise after we've bought in. We're not yeah. we're not thinking about it in that way. What we're thinking about is quite simply uh, this is a solid, and we we do this with multiple businesses on our watch list. We've got. We know what the business is doing right now. We know what what kind of cash flows they're they're generating, and we've modelled out into the future what we think they can do, and we've come to an estimate of what we think intrinsic value is and what a margin of safety price is. But you know, a part of making great investments is not pay, overpaying for the shares of the business. Yeah. So we do have to um, wait for. Um, an opportunity where the market, the erratic market, the manic depressive market presents us with an opportunity to buy at a price which gives us safety, a margin of safety and, yeah. you know, it doesn't guarantee but increases the probability of long-term returns. So we're not, um, we're, we're, we're thinking about things in terms of what we need to buy the business at to achieve a solid return in the future. We're not necessarily coming at it from, oh, I think that, this stock is going to rebound now because the market's dropped. Um, yeah. it, it is It is tricky because, yeah, it does sound like, yeah, you're well, waiting for the shares to be that, that you're timing the market, right? Yeah, I, th- I think the main difference is whether you think that you know where the market or a stock is going to go in the short term. I mean, I have no idea mm. what a stock's going to do. I value a lot of companies and the stock never gets to the valuation price. Me valuing the company below the price doesn't indicate that I know that the stock will go down. Sometimes you can't buy a good company because its price is just high. It's, it's not as if uh, I know that the stock is going to go down, so I just wait. I just value a bunch of companies um, because if I'm paying more than that, as you said, then you're not getting the return you expect. Um, so I just value a bunch of companies and sometimes in the short term, markets do weird things. Stocks go down when they shouldn't or they go up when they shouldn't. They bounce around. And if you can pick them up at those lower prices, then you still don't know what the stock's going to do in the short term. I think most of the investments I've made, the stock's gone down 30 50% after I've bought it. It's not like you're picking the bottom. You're just picking a price where the return will be good. Um, mm. The return might get better if the stock keeps falling. Like you could have, you know, you might you might buy the stock and it falls another 50% and you go rats. It, I, you know, could have got a better return. But, you know, that's that's the that's the tricky part of investing is you've just got to look at what the market is offering you and and kind of you know, invest where you can get a good return. Um, it's got really nothing to do with timing the market at all. Timing the market mm-hmm. is implying that you know where the stock is going to go in the short term. Um, the only timing, That's a good way to put it. I guess, really, you could say is like, when I'm buying the stock, yeah, I'm making a prediction about where it'll be in the long term. But that's that's about mm. it. That's not really timing the market. Um, so, yeah. Mm. yeah. Well answered, Hamish. Should we do one more? Uh, yeah. Yeah, where do you want to... Yeah, sure. Um, How about I just ask you this one at the top here. Oh, yeah. Um, It says, have you had any incidents in the past where you research a company, everything looks great, you invest in it, but as soon as you do, the fundamentals immediately start to deteriorate? What did you learn from it? Yeah, I've had a couple of experiences like that. I think think the most... I don't know if I've spoken about it on the podcast, but I definitely have on my on my youtube channel but i think the most um egregious example of this was asos where i invested in the company after doing a bunch of research and two days later the ceo stepped down who'd been at the company for six years um so yes sometimes things change and my rule has always been uh i always dip my toes in first or or another like i guess the overarching principle is patience so um take your Mm. time don't rush i always do a lot of research usually it's but the the first time I hear about a company, usually it's almost a year or longer before I actually go heavy into it because you you, you want to mm. give yourself time to understand the business. So dipping your toes in first, I think, helps. Um, and then I think the other thing is just 
you know, there are unknowable risks in individual companies. It was not possible for me to know that the CEO, who was a big part of the management team and the direction of the company, was going to step down two days later. That, that's an unknowable risk. Uh, mm. So, you know, that's the reality with individual companies. It's why you wouldn't put all of your eggs in one stock, in one basket, right? You wouldn't, you wouldn't invest all your money in one thing because even if you do all the research in the world, there are things that can happen that you can't foresee. So that's the reality of investing. You're not always going to be right. You'll probably be right or wrong a lot. Uh, so mm. be patient, know what you invest in. And, and yeah, that's, that's all, all I can really say on that. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and then get out. Guess after the, after the, <laughs> if the fundamentals deteriorate, get out as quickly as possible. Yeah. Uh, that's probably yeah. maybe important as well. Yeah, I think maybe one for me might have been Alibaba a little bit. Mm. Um, but then again, it was it's kind of fundamentals were deteriorating because it was being hit with um, all sorts of kind of macro headwinds. And it was kind of like the Charlie Munger um, argument for it, how all of a sudden these amazing rosy growth numbers were not as rosy anymore. Yeah. Um, and that was very much like a, a macroeconomic uh, cause of the deterioration. So I had to kind of reevaluate that and think about, um, you know, the, the long, the real long term of the business. Um, yeah. and think about whether I want to be along for the ride. And ultimately I did decide that, yeah, I'll, I'll stick, stick along for the ride of the, the long term of the business. Cause it's a, a strong business, but you know, you, you could have made a fair example that oh, all of a sudden the growth that I had predicted was no longer there. And you, yeah. I guess you could have made the, the decision to, to pack up and leave and cut your losses. Yeah. yeah. That's, the, that's, that's where you make your money as an investor is not when, when a stock falls a lot and something seems to have changed, knowing the difference between a short-term uh, blip that's not really going to affect the long-term trajectory of the company or a fundamental deterioration in the business. Knowing, those, mm. knowing what to do when that happens, that's, that's, that's everything. And that's, you know, yeah. it just comes back to understanding the business and, and knowing, True. knowing you know, the industry and that sort of thing. Um, but yeah, so so I guess that's kind of relevant as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely understand the business. Alrighty, well, that's it. With that said, thanks well everyone for tuning in. Uh, as always, uh, we're always taking more questions. Uh, we we seem to sometimes we we get a lot of questions and then we go through them slowly, and sometimes we have no questions. So we're always welcome wel- welcoming um, questions related to investing, the economy, anything at all. Um, you want to know how my dog is going? Ask away, um, but <laughs> you can you can, uh, you can ask questions in in uh, organically in Spotify by just scrolling up while you're listening to the episode, or head over to the YouTube version uh, of the podcast and leave your comments as a question. Uh, leave your questions as a comment on the latest episode. Um, but with, with that said, thanks to Seeking Alpha for sponsoring uh, seekingalpha.me forward slash young investors to try Seeking Alpha free for 14 days. So go check it out if you haven't already. It's a fantastic resource. And thanks, Brandon, for joining me as always. All good. And we'll be back next week. So uh, yeah, we'll see you then. Have a good weekend and we'll see you later. See you later. See you later.